by Rebecca Spencer. from almost the halfway line. Welcome back to N17 Women. I'm Abby, and it's my turn to host this week. I'm here with Sean from Proud Lily Whites. Hi, Sean. How are you? Hi, Abby. I'm well, thank you. You? I'm pretty good. It's pretty hot here in Denver this week, so just trying to keep cool. I'm also here with Caroline from Spurs Across the Pond. How's it going, Caroline? Doing well. Um, I'm also melting in the Texas heat. (laughs) I bet you are. And finally, we have Rachel, owner of Spurs Women Blog. Hello, Rachel. How have you been? Hi. Like everybody else, I'm sweltering, but very happy to be watching lots of football. That is the mood of this summer, isn't it? So we've had some news since the last time we all spoke, some new signings, some fun rumors, and we're really excited to get into all that today. Uh, And we also opened the floor for questions from our listeners, which thank you for those. And we'll be answering some of them at the end of the pod. So first and foremost, as Rachel said, there's a lot of really fun and exciting things going on in women's soccer world right now. We've got the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying, we've got the Africa Cup of Nations, and of course, we have the Euro. So how have you all been coping with the giant Ash Neville-shaped hole in the Euro? (laughs) It's been hard watching England and thinking, ah, if only there was an Ashley Neville on the pitch, it would all be better. But no, it's all been really exciting, even without many Spurs players playing in the Euros so far. Sean, I know you've been at a lot of the games, or you've been to two games so far, haven't you? I've been to one and we're both going to a bunch of games this week coming up. We were both there to see Tinny and Evelina playing for Finland against Spain. Yeah, it's... um... This week coming up is, is ridiculously busy for me. Um, so I've seen two already. I've started off watching Northern Ireland um, in their in their opening game. Uh, obviously, uh, the minnows of the tournament, I think it's fair to say. So they weren't hoping for too much. And sadly, at the end of the tournament, at the end of the game, well, of course, one of their key players and Aston Villa's new signing um, went off injured and she's not going to be returning. So um, that was sad for them. I think Northern Ireland are going to struggle now. But uh, then I went, as you say, to see uh, Finland and watch our players, uh, our only Euros players uh, in the tournament. Um, Tinny had a fantastic game, but that didn't stop the uh, <laughs> the, the strong result against them. Um, but they were playing one of the pre-season, pre, pre-tournament favourites for that. To win so Spain they're um, looking pretty good I think they were very nervy to start off with I thought Spain but that's going to happen when you're missing a couple of players um, pre-tournament so yeah then this week I've got four games coming up in quick succession so dashing about the place but uh, yeah I mean just great to see the atmosphere and all the fans and looking at the different communities of fans who come over and are really making an impact so you know we're we're breaking records left right and center in terms of attendances and things so it's great to see yeah I was really excited I was in Milton Keynes station and I saw obviously a Finnish man with uh, Sumanum on his back and I thought this is great this is what you want to see I love it and as you said Tiddy was amazing in that game and it's crazy isn't it that you have 
goalkeeper who is making some outstanding saves and still concedes four. But that is really a sign of how good Spain were looking. Obviously, the big issue Finland had was uh, set pieces, which was how Spain was scoring. But at that's something as well, I guess, that Spurs had an issue with near the end of the season, headed goals. And so maybe it's something that both Finland and Spurs are going to be working on. Well, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Spain are not known for the headers either. They're not known for being a particularly large um, team of players. So quite interesting that they're scoring with their heads um, uh, early on in the tournament. But yeah, um, I, th- I think, you know, I, I think... Finland did a great job in many respects. I think the first half, you know, they they did a better job. The second half, obviously, they were running out of steam because they've been doing so much running with Spain having so much possession um, and any shots on targets. Evelina did get a shot on target, but when they did shoot on target, they were pretty pretty um, easy for the goalkeeper to get to and, and not a lot of power on them. So, um, yeah, lots, lots for them to be learning. I'm seeing them a couple more times, at least once or maybe twice more. So, be interesting to see how they develop. They've got some easier games coming up, although nothing's hugely easy in that group. So, you know, let that be your sign. If you've been thinking of getting out there and getting to a game in the Euros, you should definitely do it if you're able. Uh, I wanted to talk about some of our other players out on international duty. Uh, there's Evelina and Tinny, as we just discussed. And then also in the Euros, she's not really our player anymore, but Vicky Schnatterbeck had a very good game against England, and I just wanted to point that out because as of now, she's still unattached to any club team. And personally, I'd take her back in a heartbeat. Elsewhere, Shalina Zadorsky has qualified for the World Cup with Canada. Roz is off with Morocco in the Africa Cup of Nations, and Morocco are top of their group. But word on the street is Roz's shooting is still, you know, same way it always is. <laughs> and... <laughs> She scored a penalty. She did, and she uh, she was presented with lots of presentable chances, according to the BBC journalist, but didn't convert any of them. Yes, some some bad writing there from the uh, BBC journalists. Um, But um, you know, good to see them covering the games at least. And then um, across the pond, we also saw Drew Spence and Becky Spencer playing for Jamaica this week, and. They beat Mexico when nothing, uh, but then they got absolutely smushed by the United States. And <laughs> Becky had a very good game and goal, according to a lot of people who I talked to who were like, oh my gosh, who's she? Why do Spurs have two goalkeepers? And again, the scoreline was still <laughs> very much not in Jamaica's favor. So Caroline, did you get a good look at Drew in that game? Yeah, I think I got a better look at her in the first game against Mexico. Um, she, she really had a strong game. I noticed that she was doing a really great job of winning the ball in the midfield and then also looking for those, you know, precise through balls to cut through the Mexican defense line. So she was an integral part of uh, that victory, which I think kind of shocked a lot of people. Um, You know, Mexico were kind of favorites, um, maybe not favorites, but, you know, definitely expected to get out of their group uh, coming into the tournament. So their collapse has been kind of shocking. But it's awesome to see, you know, Jamaica in with a good chance to qualify, you know, depending on how they do against Haiti. So I'm going to be watching that game with a lot of interest and hopefully we'll see, you know, Becky and Drew continue to play well. And then Shalina, you know, she only played the the second game for Canada and didn't have a huge impact just because Canada was on offense almost the entire time. (laughs) 
maybe not the best indicator for her, but it's awesome to see that they've qualified. Does anybody else like the fact, though, that um, it's quite nice when the Spurs players aren't getting too involved in those games because you know there's less likely they're going to get injured? That is very true. I have to say, (laughs) after what happens... After what happened to Rhea, I am really worried about international duty. And there is a part of me that is not unhappy that some of our players are not going away this summer. And there there have been some bad injuries in the CONCACAF tournament as well as the Euros. So that's definitely a legitimate concern, I would say. So do you guys think that'll give us an edge when it comes to the season that some of our players and particularly some of our key players have had a little more rest than other players who have been on international duty. Well, I think you look at the fixtures as well. I think is Australia, I think, literally are playing midweek, the week before the season starts. So Chelsea and, and Manchester City, and OK, we've got Kaya, but you know other teams are going to be more affected by the fact that you know they're going to be playing right up until days before and, and then travelling all the way back. So um, I think there is something to be said for um, having fewer internationals, particularly fewer internationals with quite so far to travel. All right, let's move on to talking about our new signing, singular, actually. Uh, <laughs> so we've recently signed Ellie Brazil from Brighton. Just a little bit about Ellie. She's a versatile forward who's been in and around the England youth setup for years, but her career has kind of stalled due to the the fact that she's just had awful luck with knee injuries. Uh, She did her ACL and then more recently at the end of this season, she did her meniscus. And so as a result, she's been out for a combined 13 months. She scored zero goals in her last three seasons. And last season, she only took nine shots in nearly a thousand minutes. And only one of those was on target, but she has worked with Rianne Skinner before, and she's also spoken at length about how her injuries have affected her ability to get shots off. So I wanted to open it up to you guys. How do you feel about this signing? I feel good about it knowing that, you know, Rianne has worked with her in the past. I feel like she definitely would be, you know, not bringing her in if she didn't have a good feeling about her. Um, And she's still pretty young. So I feel like, you know, she has not reached her ceiling yet by any means. And when it comes to her, her injury issues in the past, I think it'll help that we know Spurs have, you know, great facilities for their strength and conditioning. So hopefully, you know, she can make an improvement in that area and make a real contribution this season. I mean, I would say that when I first found out about her as a potential signing, I laughed because when you look at her statistics, she just looks like a Spurs player in both the best and the worst ways in that she has really high numbers for pressures and tackles and she's a ball winner but at the same time as Abby you just said her goal scoring her assists are really low but then I talked to some people about her and as you did read stuff about her and I've seen what Rianne has said about her and I had a chance to chat very briefly to Rianne about her and Rianne has talked about the ways in which she has worked with her before that they both know what they're getting that they understand what's expected of each other and so it does feel like they are going into the signing with eyes wide open and a sense of what Ellie's potential is going to be and I think the other thing that's worth noticing is that when she was scoring for Brighton so there was one season when she was Brighton's highest scorer this is when I think she was either 18 or 19 years old so really young but at least a few of her goals were headers and that is something that we don't have many 
uh, forward players who can do at the moment. So we've been really short of headed goals. I think we had that one from Keres. I don't remember what other ones there were last season. So having a forward player who can get her head on the ball is not a bad thing. And if she really is going to have recovered from injury and if she does have that relationship with Rianne where they're going to understand each other and know, she's going to know how to improve and fit into the team, then she is a really good signing, I think, but probably alongside someone else. So she doesn't answer our goal scoring problems, but she might be part of the answer. Yeah, I don't I don't think one person was ever going to be the answer given the situation that we're in. Um, I think we need a couple from where from where we're starting from particularly losing Rachel um so I think you know a, a young striker who's got potential who Rianne knows quite well is a starting point is a good starting point and then we see what else comes in as as we the rumors are that there are plenty more there are we've already signed some players we're just doing what Tottenham usually do at this point of the year and not actually telling anybody about it it's funny. You just reminded me. I actually had a dream last night that Spurs women signed me to replace Rachel Williams. And I was like, what are you doing? I'm not a hold up player. I can't do this. And my dream was just me on the field trying to do hold up play and just getting like pushed all over the place. Uh, but <laughs> I did want to ask you guys one more question about, about Ellie. Do you think it's possible that the shot goal and assist numbers that we're seeing could have potentially been affected by the fact that she's played for Brighton and not a different team over the last few seasons. I noticed when she signed for us and gave that interview, she mentioned particularly that she wanted to play for a team that created a lot of chances. So do you think that's a factor and do you think she'll do better with us? I think it's interesting looking at Brighton and the number of players they're losing at the moment. There's clearly something a little bit awry there, I think. And I think we've positioned ourselves nicely as the best of the rest this season so hopefully you know players are attracted by that I think it's um I don't know how me- how much I would say we were creating chances as 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 much as Rianne liked to talk about us creating chances but uh you know I think players talk it up don't they they find a reason to come in and and I think Rianne has been quite keen to say we're, we're creating a lot of chances I hope hopefully you know I mean Brighton have Brighton are one of those teams that that just you you can never tell what you're going to get from one game to the next one game they're scoring loads and doing brilliantly the next game they're terrible and then they're beating Chelsea so you know um they, they've been such a mixed bag of a team um I think potentially coming in somewhere with a little bit more consistency might might help you know and as a young player that's what you kind of want I guess as a team where you kind of going to know what you're coming into yeah, I think it's fair to say that we did create a lot of chances last season because I know when I would go to write my match recaps, it seemed like every single game I would type the sentence, we had plenty of opportunities, but just couldn't finish. <laughs> so I think the chances will be there for her for sure. I, I think it speaks highly of her that she's like thinking of her career in that sense, that she wants to go into a team that has a clear identity and you know, where not only does she understand like what the expectations are of her, but what she can contribute to the system. But I agree with y'all that it's, she's not the only solution to our scoring problems. Like we're going to have to bring in, I think a more experienced striker to play in front of her and then her be more of a, a substitute for most games, I would think. So on that note, we, we have had some rumors lately and I did want to quickly address some of those. So first off, 
were the current favorites to sign Ramona Petzelberger, who you may remember as the player who scored the winning goal for Aston Villa against us this year. So uh, what do we know about her and what do we all like about her? I feel like I should give credit to Ben on Twitter, who made, I think, a very appropriate comment that it's good if we sign all the players who ever score against us because then they can stop scoring against us. So in that (laughs) sense, it's a good thing to sign her up. She's one of those players as well who doesn't, like the statistics for her don't look great, but all of us have been impressed with her when she was playing. And she has that presence where she seems to be in the right place and is making often really important interceptions or really important um, passes in in during a game so she's one of those players who could be good but again it's probably going to depend on her being surrounded by a team with which she gels I think it's also interesting from the point of view of the growth of the club which I know we're going to speak about a little bit as well but in terms of rumours around the fact that Aston Villa just couldn't afford her next season um, and also that Manchester United were interested and we seem to have held on to her, although obviously it's by no means guaranteed it hasn't been announced yet. So th- th- from that point of view, you know, she's a popular player who other people have been after. Um, and it, so it shows that we've got the kind of pull now comparable with Manchester United. I mean, probably when you're talking about she's more likely to get game time at Spurs than she would be at Manchester United, et cetera, et cetera. But we still got that ability now to maybe be of interest to people who are being talked to by the bigger clubs and also the fact that we've obviously got a wage budget and I think this season sounds like the rumours are that actually financially we're in a better place than we have been I know you know in the past we haven't had so much money and we still don't have as much money as your Chelsea's when it comes to being able to afford players but obviously there is a bit more money there now to entice players in and and to make sure that we're making the right kind of moves to be building in the right way. I think my one concern with Ramona Putzelberger is her pressing numbers don't look great. And from what I've heard, she's also quite slow. I don't Mm. think that's necessarily completely incongruous with our team. Like we have a few players like that, but I just wonder about that gelling with the team. There's no doubt she's a good player who's in demand. Well, we can't can't have all pressing players. (laughs) (laughs) yes we can (laughs) I mean I guess go 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 well I guess you could think of it as you know she might offer something a little different to Ellie Brazil who is all about the press so having some balance in the squad is not a bad thing necessarily it's not entirely clear to me where she would play again I guess it goes back to the issues we were talking about last time, that there are so many gaps at the moment that when we're talking about bringing players in, it's not clear exactly what um, shape Rianne is thinking about us having next season and so where players would fit and with which other players. Is she going to be playing you know, more central midfield or just in front of Evelina? Or is she going to be playing out wide more often? Where is she going to be playing and with whom? Yeah. And, you know, I think we basically just need to sign as many attackers as possible. And like, I'd rather she play for us than someone else, I guess. So in that sense, I'm all for it if it happens. But yeah, I also don't know. I don't think we're going to be able to tell how it all fits together until they're actually out there on the field fitting together. 
So also an attacking link, much, much fuzzier link. We have been rumored to be in for a 22-year-old Polish striker whose name I am going to struggle to pronounce, but we're going to give it a go. Nikola Karczewska. Uh, So journalist Emma Sanders says she's headed to London and there seem to be some tweets from Polish journalists suggesting that it's North London and perhaps Tottenham. All I really know about her is that she scored 10 goals for FC Fruvi last year. And that seems good to me. Any other thoughts about this link? So I'm excited about her too, just because not only did she score for Fleury, uh, but she also scored for her national team, Poland, putting six past Armenia and even scoring a goal against Norway. So she feels like somebody who is really converting her chances. That is all I know about her. I haven't seen her. I don't know more, but it does, from what we've read about her, sound like the sort of goal scorer who scores goals. And that's the sort of goal scorer we really need. We've already got quite an, we've got a bit of an aging squad. So a younger player coming in, you know, is going to be good as well. Yeah, I agree with that. Definitely. Um, I think just someone who knows how to find the back of the net (laughs) is what we need right now. And you know, there, there's always going to be the question of, can she make the jump from a, you know, a, a not as competitive league up to the WSL, but if she has the right pieces around her, you know, that might ease her transition. So. And that's why I think her international numbers are impressive yeah. and important to think about in that context. I did look at the teams against whom she'd scored in the French league and they were They did tend to be teams in the lower part of the table. But then, of course, if your team is in the lower part of the table, that is who you're going to score your goals against. You're not going to be scoring against Lyon very often. Yeah. And it's exciting to me that we're looking at international players. Uh, I think that's a really cool link. I'd be curious um, if it does happen. I'd be curious as to exactly how it has happened. Um, It sort of felt a little bit out of left field to, to me to read that. So I'll be over here crossing my fingers, hoping it happens. So I think that wraps up our discussion. So let's move on to some questions from our listeners. We're so excited to have them. Uh, We won't get to all of them today, but we definitely will in future episodes. So do keep sending those in. I'm going to start with some questions that tie in nicely with all of our transfer talk. Um, So let's see. First off, we have a question from Micah. Who are your dream signings for Spurs women this season? And I'm just going to go down the line and ask all of you. So, Sean, let's hear your dream signings first. Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm firmly of the belief that you kind of, you trust in the team that are there. So uh, uh, Rianne knows the, the footballing world a lot better than I do. And I'm not going to claim to be somebody who knows a lot about other teams. Spurs are my team and I know a lot about them. I think, Ebony Salmon would have been a great signing, but obviously she's recently moved, so she's not going to be coming across. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I just I just like to see um, who the signings that allegedly we've already made are. And, you know, so far with the women's team, we seem to be pretty good when it comes to signing the right players. Both the previous managers and Rianne have, have brought in some great people and um, they've, they've fitted in with the squad well. So in, in Rianne, I trust. <laughs> Caroline, how about you? Uh, well, I, I do want to echo Sean's thoughts that we trust Rianne because that's definitely my mindset. <laughs> but if we're talking about like an actual dream signing, one that's maybe not realistic, the one that I've been holding a torch for is Leah Schuler from, uh, she plays for Bayern Munich currently. So there's my Bayern Munich bias coming in. 
Um, but she's also been really successful with the German national team too. Y'all probably saw her the other day. She's so consistent. Like she, I think she scored 16 league goals, like the last three seasons running, uh, which is just incredible. She only has one year left on her contract at Bayern. So just saying. Yeah, man, that sounds like a good one. I'm, I, I, I like the sound of that for sure. Uh, Rachel, what about you? It's really funny. She was on my list as well. She was top of my list because when you're looking for a goal scorer, she just stands out as an obvious potential signing in a dream world. Or maybe when we've done so well this season that we qualified for the Champions League next season, she yes. will want to come to England, get her WSL experience at Spurs. That would be amazing. I was so excited the other day watching Bon Matty in person. I have to say, having someone like her, that creativity, I don't think she'd fit at all in the current Spurs team, but she's just such a joy to watch. And seeing the amounts, the sort of seeing the way in which she controls and directs play was also really interesting. She's one of those players who is constantly thinking about the shape of the team and where people should be. It would just be lovely at some point in the future to have that kind of player at Spurs because we would benefit from being a more creative team. I think that's a really good point. Uh, and I would absolutely love to sign her as well. Uh, a girl can dream, you know. So I have a follow up question to this, actually. Uh, and Sean kind of already got at this. Um, earlier this window, we were linked to Nikita Paris and Beth England. Nikita Paris went to United and Beth England is off at the Euros and that's looking increasingly unlikely. I personally would have loved to see us sign Adriana Leon from West Ham or Viachuki Sari from Birmingham City, but Adriana has signed for United and now it sounds like Sari is headed to Brighton. So my follow-up is which players did you want to see come Spurs who have now signed for other teams? I know Sean already answered Ebony Salmon. So Caroline, what about you? I don't know. Ebony Salmon was definitely the one that I had had my eye on um, at the beginning of the transfer window. So that was a a blow. I know. I think you had mentioned also Adriana Leon that just signed with Man U. She had a great game for Canada the other night. You know, she's a very dynamic player. So that would have been a great get as well. Rachel, what about you? Yeah, like you, I was a huge fan of Sophia tricky I thought she did a great job at um, Birmingham last season so she'd have been a lovely one otherwise oh I don't know there's probably lots of others I can't think of them right now all right so next question also about transfers so uh, this one's from Ryan if you could bring back one former player who would you want to come back and why Uh, and I'll start with Sean again well, I have a very specific um, request here because um, I, for me personally, I think the way in which uh, Jenna left the club was um, was unfortunate because it was during the middle of COVID um, and we were promised a proper send-off that we've never actually been given. And I also thought it was completely um, rude of Karen and Juan not to at least give her 10 minutes on the pitch at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium when she was on the bench for that game. So for me, the player that I'd like to come back is Jenna for a game at the new stadium. I still think it can happen because I still think she needs a testimonial. Um, and I've been saying this for some time, you know, she gave so many years service to the club. I was a fantastic captain, a fantastic ambassador for our club. And she still is because she's still working at the club as a as an ambassador. Um, but I think she deserves a testimonial at the new stadium, bringing back loads of the players that she's played with. Um, and I think lots of fans would just love to see that. Pre-season, end of season, 
as one of the games during the massive breaks that we get during the season because we know they play some friendlies behind closed doors to keep the competitive matches going, make them what make one of them a, a testimonial for Jenna. Um, that for me is who I'd like to see come back, and and in that particular setting, I think she can. Man, that's a great answer, and I 100% agree. What about you, Caroline? Oh, I think y'all probably already know the name that's about to come off of my lips. And that is Alex Morgan, <laughs> which is also not realistic. Oh, I knew someone um, was going to say it. <laughs> I mean, come on. But she's she's obviously very happy in San Diego. So like on a personal level, I would not actually want her to come back because, you know, she's really thriving out there on the West Coast. But I think, you know, when she came to Spurs, she was just coming off of her maternity leave and getting back into fitness and we didn't get to see the best of what she had to offer, but, you know, we can still be thankful that she, she did come and sort of raise the profile of the club. And I would love to see her, you know, come back maybe towards the end of her career even. Yeah, that would be so much fun. I will also be crossing my fingers for that one. Rachel, what about you? Oh, well, Caroline and Sean have had such good choices, but I think I'm still mourning Maeva going. So can she just not go? Can she just stay? Um, I, that, that's my one at the moment. Yeah. I feel that. Man, yeah, I think that might be my answer as well. Although there is also Vicky, Vicky uh, Schnatter Beck, I'd probably throw in there as a, I think that one might actually even be realistic, but I feel like we just would have heard by now. So who, who knows? So next question, we have one from Mr. G who says, I am overjoyed with what management has done with the men's team, but is it just me or is it feeling like management is waiting until after the women's Euros to work on improving the women's team? I I think the answer to this is no. I just think they haven't told us what they're doing yet. I think um, (laughs) the the rumours from reputable journalists like Emma Sanders are that there are deals done. We're just waiting. And I know that, that the deal that we've already announced for Drew Spence was done some time ago uh, before they announced it. It was done a few weeks before they announced it. So Spurs, and in the past, when, we, when it's come to contract renewals, they've signed them all up and then waited a month, literally, to, to actually tell us what they've done. I, I think it's just that they, they don't like telling us what's going on. And also, I mean, part of that problem is that most of the players are in contract until the end of June. So it's not really till the beginning of July that you actually start to get players being properly free from their contracts. Um, and with the Euros, I just think there's a lot going on in women's football at the moment. Yeah, I was thinking that when you were asking earlier about even Beth England, that whether or not she would move to team isn't going to be announced really while the Euros are going on. So it's unlikely that any player who's currently playing for the national team is going to have a transfer being really publicised until after those tournaments are over. So it may be that not necessarily Beth England, that'd be lovely, but that there would be some players who are currently playing in any one of the tournaments that is currently going on that they wouldn't want to announce until after that. It could also be something as simple as even players that aren't at one of the tournaments. Um, they're just enjoying their vacation right now. <laughs> you know, we, we see that on the men's side all the time. Um, I think Christian Erickson is a great example of that, you know, so we could, like you said, the, the deals could be done. We're just not hearing about them yet. Maybe no reason to fret until it gets far closer to the end of the window. 
But we I do are think still it's a oh, way off, aren't we? I mean, let's face it, the men start beginning of August, so that's why there's been a lot of activity there. Yeah. The team don't start until the middle of September, so still plenty of time. Right. But I do think there's definitely an issue there that's sort of being referred to, perhaps, which is around the amount of money that is being put into the women's team. And we saw some statistics come out which were based a season ago because they were based on the accounts from 2020 to 2021, which showed that at that time wages for the women's team averaged about it was in the sort of 23, 26,000 per person. And essentially the club was paying 0.05% of what it spent on the men's team on the women's team. And so there is really a lot of space there for the club to invest a little bit more, both in, you know, real terms, like how much are you going to be paying per staff member not just players but also all of the mm-hmm. support staff who if they're living and working in London need to be paid properly and to get the high quality people to make sure for example that we don't have injuries again and that they are getting the kinds of rehabilitation and preventative exercise support that means that they that we don't lose them from the squad but also that players are attracted and are paid at a rate that means that we do get them rather than Manchester City or Arsenal or Chelsea and I think that is happening there are signs that that is happening but the reality is that all the women's teams are losing money there isn't a single women's team in the Super League who are making money at this point in time and we know that as a club we're kind of quite big on you know not getting ourselves financially into trouble the women's game has to be sustainable we have to get to a point where it's sustainable and I don't think the answer is just pouring lots of money in from from the men's club if you know we know that we've got poor attendance compared with other teams we're probably sort of middle-ish in the league but against your Arsenal's and your Chelsea's our, our attendance is not good if the fans aren't coming then the money's not coming in you know we we need they need you know everybody needs to do more if they want more spent on the team then people need to start coming and watching and and putting in that kind of demonstration that that's what they want and I do think whilst you know yes we're still not up there with Chelsea you know you hear the rumours of there being five or six Super League clubs who've got a decent sized budget and the rest who haven't and the rumours all are that Spurs are in that five or six so I, I think we are competitive with the other teams in the league I wouldn't want to see us just pouring in loads of money because ultimately I want the whole women's pyramid to be sustainable and I want us to move in a direction that's going to make that possible because Tottenham doesn't exist without the rest of the women's pyramid. I personally think we should be putting a little bit of a halt on some of the spending that's happening at Chelsea and at Manchester City to make it more equitable. And there's going to be a whole review of the women's game coming up hopefully this summer by the FA, so we'll see what comes of that. But I think we need to be careful about asking for more money to be spent when you know, every club is losing a couple of million pounds a year at the moment. I think that actually ties in really nicely to the next question that we had. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Joshua asked us a question on a more general note. Would you say the gaps in the WSL are closing some? So a lot of that ties in with, you know, the financial power that the Chelsea's and the Arsenal's have have made it difficult in, in past seasons for other teams to really compete. Um, I think we have seen some of that level out in the sense that it it is true that any team in the league can get a result. We saw that with Birmingham City um, beating Arsenal last season, albeit by a very narrow scoreline. 
but you know, I think Spurs are a great sort of case study when it comes to looking at the league as a whole, because we, you know, after just a few seasons being in the league, we have had sort of a rapid ascent and we are now definitely in that best of the rest pack. And we're, we're finding that we're able to get points off of the top teams and really not, not just in a lucky sense all the time, but in the sense that we're really competing. I think, you know, the Chelsea results, if we look at those, we lost both games, but we were in the games. I, I do think it's kind of evening out, but what Sean said, you know, it would be great to see. I don't even know if there is a sort of financial fair play rule in the women's game, um, but that definitely is something that's needed if there isn't. Um, so that you don't see the top teams just sort of consolidating all the top players and, you know, having those super teams like we kind of see in the men's side so that the teams lower in the league and also teams lower in the pyramid and other leagues are still able to compete. Well, interestingly, I think financial fair play for the men's teams is going to start taking into account women's teams soon. So at Mm. the moment, men's teams don't have to worry about what their women's teams do in terms of the financial fair play regulations but that's changing so that could be an interesting position for some of those bigger clubs I'm not as optimistic as you in terms of the the gap between the top four and the rest I think last season Manchester City and Manchester United proved that they had a terrible start to the season Manchester City in particular and yet they still finished in third place um you know uh, they, they were not Manchester City at the beginning of last season. They were getting beaten left, right and centre. And they still went on to finish in third place, which to me shows that the gap is still there and is still, yes, you'll get one or two results every season where somebody beats Chelsea or somebody beats Arsenal. But consistently, it's still not there. And there are times when we're doing better, but there are also times when we're still losing by more goals than I'd like. My my hope last season was that we'd be winning those games, that we'd be losing the games to the big to the top four by fewer goals. And we we did that. And and the draw against Arsenal, I think, was the best result for us last season in terms of progress because I think that was an Arsenal team in form. Whereas when we played the other top four teams and got a good result, they weren't necessarily in form. Um so I think that was a great result for us coming off the back of confidence probably from games where we've beaten people who weren't on form but were big name I think also last season the the rest you know that is Everton and Reading started the season really badly and and took a long time to get into their stride and then West Ham and Brighton both had bad second half of the seasons so we just got through I think we finished where we did by virtue of the fact that that we were more consistent than the others um but I still but you know we were still losing to West Ham and to Brighton and to Aston Villa I still think, I mean, I think there's definitely potential for us to be the best of the rest going forward and and to keep it in that spot. But I don't think we're there yet. I don't think last season was that much of an improvement on our first season in the Super League. If you look at the points per game kind of results, I think it was, I think it was fairly similar. Obviously that season was truncated because of COVID. So for me, this season is a big season in terms of determining where we're at with that. Because I I still think the top four are the top four by some distance, and we're still working on breaking down that gap. I think there's the the fact that you brought up Everton there is really interesting in thinking about the difficulties that teams have in breaking into the top four. Because obviously Everton at the start of last season were being touted as a potential Champions League contender that they had bought all of these players that they'd spent a lot of money, which is obviously what people often say is all you have to do and then you'll be able to break in. And they had a pretty disastrous season. It wasn't made better by changing managers uh, twice. So they had three managers over the course of a season. The second one didn't seem to get on with any of the players. 
but it was one of those indications that it's not as simple as just buying great players. I think what we're seeing is that our first team was able to compete a lot of the time with some of those other teams. But where there's a real gap in the WSL is in depth and in squads rotation and the ability to just have game changers who come off the bench to have the resources and the time that has been invested into the team that you can buy a few players every season and you're just adding to an existing great squad so they tend to have less turnover although Man City lost a lot of players this summer but they do tend to generally have just a little bit less turnover because they've got these you know a really excellent squad to start with and then they're just really it's the icing on the cake just trying to hone it a little bit more and whereas for a lot of teams and Spurs are a part of that it's really often a kind of wholesale change rethinking about what you're doing going back to the starting board and so I think we're going to start seeing the gap closing when we see less movement every summer when you start seeing clubs retaining most of their players because that's what we see in the men's team across the board. I think the, the strength and depth thing is really important because last season you looked at our bench and there were games, not all the time, but there were games when you looked at the bench and went, well, there's nobody I'd be wanting to bring on right now. That is important. And again, that comes back to your budget as you know your wage budget and the players that you can attract. I think now we're seeing that we can start to attract the players that we want to be attracting because of our season that we've just had. But whether we've got the wage budget to get the quality of players with enough of those players is one of those questions, isn't it? Of Do you splurge and get a, get your Alex Morgan in, which no doubt did some good for the club, or do you spread it more evenly across and get a, more players of, of that level? So, And when you talk about, I know people were linking us with Jill Scott as well to go back to rumours, and um, I don't think she's going to come to us. I think she's a northerner. I think the rumour is she's going to Liverpool. But again, for a player like that, is it worth spending the amount of money that you're going to be spending given her her status in the game when realistically she's not going to be playing 90 minutes every week for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'd like, it's interesting. I'd previously been really into the idea of signing her as depth, especially after we lost Mava. but it's a, it's a great point about minutes. And we already have, you know, Drew Spence, who we don't know how many minutes we're going to be getting out of her either. And if you do have a limited budget, that is going to make a gap and it is something to consider. Well, I know Drew Spence just wants to be playing. Is one is a key reason why she's coming to Spurs is that she wants minutes. So hopefully she will be giving us plenty of those. Oh, that's great news. That's great news. I have not heard that yet. And that's really, really reassuring and good to hear. I would still love another person in that position. But again, like we need to rebuild our entire attack. So unclear to me how many midfielders we can or should sign and how many we need to close the gap. So I wanted to uh, ask another question about growth, actually, from my perspective as an American. I know that talked a bit about moving to this new stadium as being a part of a growth process. I wanted to ask Rachel and Sean in particular, how do you think that move is going so far? And do you think that it could be a way to contribute to growth in the future? Well, certainly the, the, from the growth point of view, people so within the crowd, Lily Whites, we've had quite a lot of people who said, oh, that's going to be easier for me to get to. So I'm hoping to come to more games. So, and you know, 
the Tottenham faithful seem to prefer that as a, a venue. So hopefully from the growth perspective, that would be great. Season tickets and things, we know that the people who have season tickets have been um, sent an email to renew their season tickets. So that's good news in the sense that we've got an email and it's starting because all the other clubs, it seems, have already had their uh, general sale of season tickets happen. So great news to see things happening on that way. I think there are a few concerns just about clarity of exactly. I think they're trying to replicate it. A, a bit of a situation like Arsenal have. So Arsenal have a kind of a stand where they've got season ticket hold specific seats and it's kind of a premium experience type affair. And I think they're kind of trying to recreate that at Spurs. But the information that we have is quite sparse. So how Lily White's talking to the club to try and get some more clarity because at the moment it sounds like it's going to be um, allocated seat- seating at Brisbane Road, which we kind of think isn't necessary yet I don't know about you Rachel but I think we've we haven't got as many we haven't got enough people coming to the games yet that allocated seating is a good idea as yet yeah I clicked through after excitedly getting my email saying that I could renew my season ticket and I was told that I was allocated a very specific seat in row four which I didn't know where it was because looking at the seat guides online didn't give me enough information to know exactly where I would be sitting But it also wasn't clear whether I would be sitting next to people who I knew or didn't know and what I'd be able to do in terms of bringing guests. And certainly last season, almost every game I brought people with me who weren't season ticket holders, who I was trying to get excited about coming to Spurs women, excited about women's football, excited about Spurs, all of those things. If I don't know whether or not I can sit next to a guest, whether I would have to buy different tickets for that, but also... If it's meant to be a premium experience, it would be really nice to be able to choose approximately where in the stadium, within reason, I could sit. So I know there are people who love sitting really close to the ground. There are other people who like sitting a little bit higher up or in the centre by the goal line. And it doesn't really make sense to have automatically allocated seating without that kind of choice, given, as Sean was saying earlier, we don't yet have really high numbers of season ticket holders. Hopefully that's going to change. Hopefully loads of people are going to buy season tickets this summer and we're going to have a massive crowd come September. But there just doesn't seem to be a lot of information at the moment. And with a deadline to renew at a discount price for the 15th of July, it would be really nice to know a little bit more from the club and to know that the club had spent a bit of time consulting with fans, whether that's Proud Lilyites, whether that's supporters clubs or whether it's just getting in touch with existing season ticket holders and finding out what they want and trying to answer their questions and be clear about everything. One of my friends as well, she's got three different season tickets and those seats when she clicks through aren't together. So um, again, as is often the way I find with Spurs, particularly when you're talking about the women's game, the ticketing communication is really can be really quite poor at times. And the way in which it's done just doesn't necessarily make sense. So we do have to kind of talk to the club and get some clarity about exactly what it's going to mean. You know, I've got a nephew who comes to some games and he's a junior member, so he shouldn't have to pay for his ticket to come to the women's games because that's part of his package. But will he be able to sit with me as a season ticket holder? Or if I want him to come, will I have to phone them up and get a move like I do for the men's game? And that's a whole nother palaver. And actually, if what you're trying to do is to encourage people to come to the game, those kind of things are actually obstacles. And we've got a larger ground next season 
we've got a few couple thousand more seats at Brisbane Road than we had at the Hive. So even if we get a couple thousand more people coming, we're still going to have plenty of seats for people to be to be you know choosing where they sit and not having to be allocated. But you know it could work if it was done with a bit more consideration. But as I say, it doesn't seem like the club have actually asked anybody what they want. They've just made an assumption and then they've left the actual situation unclear, which uh, is not. It's not going down well with those of us who kind of have received the email. So we wait and see. Hopefully, though, the club will engage with us and we'll have an answer before too long about exactly what it means. So I have two questions. One, I don't know how it is over there, but like for teams in the U.S., usually if you're a season ticket member, you have like specific rep that works with you to answer questions and help you with things like getting guests at games. And so do you all have something like that? Well, it's a bit difficult in in the women's game. In the women's game specifically, no. Um, The club has what's called a support liaison officer who has been dealing across the men's and the women's just because there isn't one specifically for the women's game. And in theory, you can um, contact him about things, but he is only one person. As a season ticket holder for the men's team, I have that if I call the ticket office, I can select a particular line for season ticket holders and in theory I get through quicker so there is <laughs> it within the men's team there is that facility but the women's team that there's nothing specified I mean you know the women's team the staffing at the women's team is threadbare I think is fair to say and, and so they just don't have those kind of facilities and there's kind of you know, no communication with with the fans about exactly how it works because I guess because there haven't been that many but there have been these kind of issues around ticketing before and, and working out what's going on can be tricky because the SLO doesn't always know um, because he's mostly to do with the men's side. He can he can get answers for us, but obviously that takes a bit of time. Yeah, and I was also going to ask, I know that there's the Supporters Trust that has done a lot of work around ticketing with the men's games. So do they work with fans of the women's team or no? We've been working with them a bit as the Proud Lily Whites to kind of try and, and, and get support movement with the women's game, but they don't, well, the They chair... officially don't know, do they? Because they, they specifically, when they were doing their survey not that long ago and there were no questions about the women's team mm. and I got in touch with them and they said, well, this is because we don't represent the women's team. We don't speak for fans of the women's mm. team. We don't do it. So yeah, even if informally they might do a little bit, they are still pushing back and not being kind of opening up or asking well, questions of it. The interesting thing is that the chairs of the Sports Trust have just stepped down or will be stepping down at their yeah, I heard that. So there's going to be a bit of a change. So we wait and see what happens there. I mean, there are two arguments here. One is that as a women's team, we should have our own Sports Trust and we should have our own group that does it. But obviously that's the big ask of anybody to set something up like that because this is supports trust is is quite an explicit kind of organization and you do need you know your governance and everything in place the other is that the supports trust should rep the women's team and uh, and I personally would like them to be even if it's just having somebody on their on their committee who is the women's team rep and can do most of the work around the women but I think asking somebody to do that would be much more likely to get somebody who's willing to do that than trying to get a whole different organization set up I would hope that they do that and and as I say with the change in leadership maybe that's something that's going to be possible um but the supporters trust at the moment have an interesting relationship with the club of course they called for the board to be or certain members of the board to be sacked not too long ago so I'm not sure 
whether it will be a, a positive or a negative sometimes being completely associated with them but there is certainly scope and we wait and see as well with the fan-led review recommendations and when they come out obviously in the men's game at least there's there's going to be requirement for more fan involvement at a higher level in the club so we'll see what that leads to as well. Yeah I agree with Sean it would be really good to have somebody on the supporters trust who was just a point of contact who could collate the kinds of issues that fans are having and that could be a name that was circulated and properly under known about by fans because what you tend to find is that when things go wrong, there's a lot of people just asking questions on Twitter, on other social media, and just being confused. It's great that Proud Lily Whites are doing loads of work on this, but that they're doing lots of work across different things. And this is something that is an issue for all supporters of the women's team, that there isn't decent information that it can take absolutely forever to get through on the phone. And the person you're talking to may not know lots of the details relating to the women's team. So we do need to have better representation so that the club does provide more clear information and information and does work with the fans to make sure that we are growing the game in a way that actually grows the game and facilitates more people attending and finding that easy to do yeah I think those are all great points and I personally for the sake of the team and the sake of the game I really hope this gets worked out and on a personal note I also really hope so because I am probably going to be in town this fall and I would love to go to one of the games so (laughs) anyway yeah we want you to sit with us so you know we've got season ticket (laughs) Well, I think we'll end it there for today, folks. We hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe on your platform of choice and follow N17 Women on Twitter. Spread the word to all your friends. I personally expect each of you to have bullied two new people into following Spurs Women by the end of the summer. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) We'll be back soon with more content on things like tactics, uh, club finances, and of course the tournament coming up in Louisville. If there's anything you'd like to hear us cover that we didn't get to today, get in touch with us at N17Women on Twitter or via email at N17Women at ProtonMail.com. Signing off for today, it's Abby, and you can find me at AbbyRoseMeow on Twitter. And Rachel, where can we find you? I'm at SpursWomenBlog on Twitter. Caroline, where can we find you? I am at CGStefko. And Sean, where can we find you? Uh, I'm Sean underscore Wallace. Lovely. Thank you, everyone. And see you next time. Mm